0: Today, we have special guest, Mr. J.R. Majewski, who is running for Ohio's 9th Congressional District. He is from Toledo, Ohio, and is an Air Force veteran. He is on the ballot in the general election on November 8th, 2022, and he just recently advanced from the Republican primary on May 3rd. Welcome to the show.
1: Well, thank you for having me. Um, I, I really, really appreciate it.
0: Thank you for being here. Can you tell us a little bit about your background?
1: Sure. Um so like you said, born and raised in uh, Toledo, Ohio. Uh, I grew up actually in an area of Toledo called the Polish Village, which is um in the uh Lagrange Street area and uh I graduated from Calvin M Woodward High School in 1998 and after graduating from high school, I joined the United States Air Force and served in the Air Force for 4 years and uh After uh, finishing a tour in the uh, Middle East and supporting uh, Operation Enduring Freedom, I uh, was honorably discharged and I decided to come home and and, uh, at first I was going to pursue a law degree at the University of Toledo, and um, I was uh, surprised to be offered a position at our local uh, nuclear power plant, uh, which is known as Davis. And um, I took a position there in the security group and uh, worked my way up over a 20 year career. And I just actually uh, resigned my position right before the primary in May, about three weeks prior uh, to focus on the election. But uh, I was the executive director and I oversaw the spent nuclear fuel uh, portfolios for a a number of reactors across the country. So um, that's pretty much it in a nutshell, my uh, professional background.
0: So the question that you probably get all the time—the uh, big question—is why did you decide to run?
1: Well, I decided to run because um, I'm, i you know, I was tired of yelling at my television. Um, I was tired of what I perceive as do nothing politicians that are uh, uh, have a fantastic time raping about problems but don't bring solutions to the table. And uh, you know, I'm I believe firmly that. I walk I talk, I act, and uh, I am a uh, distinct representative of, of the ninth district in Ohio and uh, you know, I wanted to use my talents to help people even more than I you know was doing professionally and uh, cro- Congress uh, seemed to be a good fit for me um, it would give me the opportunity to solve problems on the at a national level but also do so um, with you know the the mindset that I was recontributing and then trying to better my home district.
0: Now you recently defeated uh, three other candidates um, and it was a pretty close race from what I can tell. Uh, you received 35.8% uh, and then right behind you was um, was Riddell. Um, can you tell me a little bit about your competitors? Cause they all seemed very qualified.
1: Yeah. So um, Craig Riedel was a, uh, a member of the Ohio house of representatives Um, I don't know how long he's served, but I believe uh, he's been in office for um, five years or six years. And then uh, Teresa Gavron was a um, state senator, and I believe she is on her um, second term as state senator. But prior to that, she served as a uh, a member of the Ohio House of Representatives. And then uh, Beth Deck, who um, also ran, uh, she was a or is a supervisor working for the uh, local Veterans Administration? So, okay, that's a pretty, that's a pretty good uh, good competition there.
0: Yeah, I thought so. And then were there there were several others in that competition? Correct until the redistricting, which is not finalized yet, right? Is that my understanding, or what is the latest update on that?
1: So the federal maps are approved. Uh, I believe it's for a four year um, four year cycle. Um, so. You know, the District 9 is is what it is now uh, for the next four years, but um, there were, you know, the the, the district maps changed, I believe, twice before they were actually approved, and uh, there were some other people that jumped in and out of the race, but, you know, I'm the only one that consistently stayed in the race for District 9. I actually uh, uh, decided to launch my campaign last April when, you know, the district was still a Democrat plus 16, so... Um, everyone else in the race, and you know, I think this is a, a testament of my, you know, my desire to actually serve. Um, everyone else waited until it was a Republican-leaning district before they decided to launch their campaigns, and I think that I think that helped me a lot during the election, uh, as people realized, you know, that I'd been in the race um, when it seemed unwinnable.
0: I was really excited to see your Trump endorsement. So did you know that was coming? And how did you feel about that?
1: No, I had absolutely no idea. Um, I received a call on election night asking me if I was available to uh, come to Dallas to the NRCC's annual um, dinner. Uh, I don't remember the official term, uh, so I apologize to the NRCC folks that will probably hear this, but <laughs> it was a uh, a year uh, an annual uh, dinner that they have. In Dallas, and uh, I-, I was asked to, to attend. And um, President Trump just decided to call me up on stage, and uh, totally unplanned, unscripted, and um, quite nerve-wracking. Uh, <laughs> to be honest, um, used to speaking in front of large groups, but not used to speaking in front of large groups when you know someone I admire like President Trump is standing behind me. But I think we did a pretty good job, and. Uh, you know, we impressed him even more. So I'm happy with the way it turned out, but, um, you know, it's, it's been a, it's been a total whirlwind over the past two weeks after winning, um, with, with, you know, all of the attention we've been getting as a campaign, but we're excited and, and we're going to capitalize on it and, and use it uh, to our advantage to win in, in November.
0: Yeah, absolutely. What an honor. Why do you, but why do you think he picked you over the other two candidates?
1: Well, number one, I think that, uh, president trump knows that i'm a no bullshit candidate um he knows that i stand hard on my values and my principles and my ethics and uh you know he he understands that you know i'm an america first candidate i'm an honest america first candidate and um if you followed the campaign and the uh the election closely you would have seen that you know my and i I don't mean to talk in, in in a condescending manner about my opponents but you know there was a big difference between me and them um My campaign was focused on standing next to President Trump and, you know, stifling this Biden agenda and, you know, preparing for him to to eventually run again in 2024. And, you know, again, standing with President Trump and my opponents look to uh, stand on him uh, by constantly trying to affiliate themselves with him and, and take advantage of little opportunities that they may have had during their political career to stand by a Trump 2020 sign or a poster or speak at a rally. You know, they, they were, they were trying to allude and insinuate that, you know, they, that he had their, or that they had his support when in reality, you know, he, he was, he was staying neutral for the most part. And, uh, you know, at the, at the very end, I think he decided, um, you know, that I was the inevitable candidate. And even though, you know, some may say 5%, it's not a big margin, but when you talk about a guy like me who came out of nowhere, ran a totally grassroots campaign against you know two elected incumbents who um, were financed by special interest groups and people that really wanted them elected, you know, I think five percent is compounded by you know, a factor of 10.
0: Um, so can you tell our listeners, I was watching the video on your, I think it's on your website or it's on somewhere, but can you tell us about your lawn? Because I thought it was really cool. Yeah.
1: So um, in 2020, um, I painted the world famous uh, Trump campaign logo on my, on my lawn in Port Clinton. And um, I did so as a result of the bad uh, local group. Whole story short, a lot of national media attention, and I was able to leverage that to um, help local candidates that were running in 2020. And uh, unfortunately, we didn't have the. I would say my networking. Phase of getting to know people and getting to meet people and uh, that ultimately. 20, you know for where, uh, um, and I painted it essentially every week every other week throughout the election cycle and uh I probably have had close i'm say close to fifty thousand people that have you know come to my home from almost every state across the country wanting to take pictures or wanting to visit the the lawn and um uh, I took it a step further. Uh, this year, after the um, debacle that we had in Afghanistan, I actually painted a portrait of President Trump, and uh, that that went a little that went viral as well. So, um, I've been uh, right now the the grass is just starting to grow. So who knows? Maybe we'll get a, a some lawn art out there this year. But I think this year, if we do it, it's going to have my logo on it.
0: Yeah, it was definitely cool. Even my mom was talking about it and she doesn't really, you know, she gets into politics, but not that much. And she was even expressing how she thought it was really cool. So if you got Mrs. Rowland's vote, then that's
1: awesome. (laughs) (laughs) That's all we I've, you know, it's been crazy. I've traveled the country and uh, I'm a pretty humble guy. And um, yeah, I I remember being at an event in San Antonio, Texas, where I was meeting with General Flynn. And um, before I went backstage, this group of people came up to me and they're like, Jr. Oh my God, you know, your lawn and you know, it, it, there's a Trump rally in Florida that I went to with some friends and people there recognized me. So it's been a really humbling experience and you know, who would have thought that painting my lawn would have turned into me running for Congress and actually winning? I think that just I mean, my my entire adventure here uh, into office is, is going to be a story and it's going to be a story I hope that inspires other people to know that, you know, you don't have to be uh, a highfalutin, uh, you know, super important um, community leader or elected official uh, to actually run for office. You just have to have the right level of desire and and the heart for it. And you have to be honest with yourself and with the people that are going to elect you. And I might have a, I might have a, a, a pretty, um, good background professionally, but, you know, <coughs> excuse me. And I've never leveraged that. You know, I've always, you know, when, when I talk about Jr. and who I am, it's always about my family. It's always about, you know, my community and my, you know, my professional background in military service usually comes third or fourth. And, um, you know, there's a reason for that. People aren't elected to me because I'm a veteran. People aren't elected to me because, um, yeah, I have, I have a career in nuclear power. They're elected me because they believe in me. And they know that, you know, I, I have their best interests in mind and that I have nothing but compassion and love for this district. And, uh, you know, if I can do it, anybody can. And that's, that's the message that, you know, I, I hope follows me as I win in November.
0: I absolutely love that. Um, and I also saw that Roger Stone endorsed you. I've seen him speak a few times in DC. They love Roger Stone.
1: <laughs> you know, Roger says America loves Roger Stone and uh, he's a, <laughs> he's a great guy. Um, I can't, I could compliment him until I'm blue in the face. Um, he's been a wonderful man um, getting to know him and getting to meet him um, and, and, and take his advice on a lot of things. I mean, Roger's a very caring and compassionate guy. He loves to, come to President Trump. And, uh, you know, he wants to see our party on the right side of history. And he's willing to do anything that he has to do to, to make that happen, even if it means sacrifice his own personal life. And, uh, you know, I think Roger's a hero uh, of many people, including mine.
0: Absolutely, that was a cool one to see on your page. Um, so this is one of my favorite topics. So let's talk about Marcy Kaptur because Marcy Kaptur has been in office since I was born. Um, and I had heard I heard rumors from DC um, that she was retiring. So obviously that's not true. Um, what are your feelings on her, and how has she been able to stay in office for so
1: long? You no, know, I think Marcy Kaptur is a nice little lady. Um,
0: <laughs> okay,
1: but she has to be. I also think that Marcy. I think Marcy captor is a vicious politician and uh, a vicious politician that needs to retire um, you know this this country this district can 't suffer any more lifelong republicans and look we 're getting into we 're getting into a new age of, of of not only politics but our society is is changing uh, year over year I mean think about it four years ago we we knew what bathroom we we, we needed to go into uh, four years ago our children weren 't um, you know, wearing masks and, you know, even though that that stuff's being lifted, but, you know, four years ago, five years ago, this was a totally different world. And then you, you take it back another five years, you know, it was, it was different then. And, you know, we have, we have folks like Marcy that have been in office for 40 years that are looking to, um, you know, increase their own personal wealth. And, and they do so under this facade that they care about the district. I mean, I highly doubt Marcy Captor knows how to change her Facebook page, uh, password, let alone, you know, communicate with the people in her district. And that's the only place you ever see Marcy it is on social media. Uh, she's harder to find than Carmen Sandiego. So, you know, for those of us that are old enough to remember that show, uh, you've also uh, are old enough to, to have lived under the plague of Marcy Captor's leadership. Uh, district 9 Toledo has suffered. Um, you, you can just look at the at the at the bell curve. Um, you know, we were once a highly uh, populated uh, city in Toledo. We were the number one exporter of coal. We were known as the class city. We had jobs all over the place. And you know, one thing there's many things that have have remained constant. But when you look at it from an economical standpoint, uh, urban sprawl has impacted us significantly. Um, lower income housing has been impacted significantly. And, you know, the only leader that's been around throughout this entire cycle is Marcy Gapner. So, you know, we we, it's time for a change. And it's not only time for a change with Marcy, it's time for a change with uh, the entire Democratic leadership that's been preying on District 9 um, from the municipal level. All the way to the state level, you know, we're going to get rid of them and we're going to do that, but we're going to do that at the ballot box. And I'm I'm happy to be at the tip of the spear leading that effort because it's it's about damn time.
0: Absolutely. And I, for our listeners, so you know, I'm from Toledo. I don't live in Toledo anymore, but um, I do follow the district closely. My entire family lives there. Um, but my family's split on it. So half of them vote Democrat and then the other half vote Republican. So it's interesting when you talk to them about why they continue to put Marcy into office and they don't really know. Um, but my, 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 dad worked for Libby Glass. My grandfather retired from Ford. I mean, you know, so we are definitely Toledo, Ohio people and nobody can really figure out why they continue to vote for her. And not, like I said, I don't even know if they know at this point, because 40 years is a long time to maintain that spot. Um, so.
1: Marcy's Mar, 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 a, Marcy's a legacy candidate. Uh, Marcy's somebody that my great grandmother voted for. Marcy's somebody that my grandmother voted for. Um, you know, she had an appeal with the Eastern. Uh, Eastern European Toledoans that live the uh, you know the Polish the the Slavic and the Hungarian areas of Toledo, which were you know your your consistent voter base, and you know as those folks have moved out of Toledo for various reasons, uh, mostly due to high crime and and urban blight and uh, you know lack of uh, economic access, uh, Marcy is you know she's kept her hooks in them um, you know through the suburban areas, but. You know those those folks are, uh, you know they're 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 few and far between anymore. And uh, you know the ones that 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 are still around, I think they've they, they will remain uh, consistently loyal to Marcy. But you know they're family members. You know I think they've uh, think they've they've seen the light. And you know when when it when it starts to, to hit voters in their pocketbooks, and again that we're becoming a more awake, not woke, but more awake in society. You know, we're seeing that, you know, the results are are in because of leadership from folks like Marcy. I mean, a lot of special interest stuff that's happened in the Toledo area that has done nothing but take advantage of the, of the residents and the taxpayers. And the only way we're going to fix that is by removing her from office. And I'm talking root to stem. She's got to go. And, I'm, i'm i'm entirely confident we're gonna make that happen
0: i am too i i know you're gonna win i mean you absolutely are so you're getting my entire immediate family's vote i don't know about my extended family but uh my immediate family they're all republicans so um talk to me about fundraising how did fundraising go for you and then the second part of that question is how what well let's talk first about how your fundraising went and you know where are you kind of at with that right now
1: um fundraising went pretty good i mean uh You know, I was able to raise six figures in the district when it was a Democratic district. So, you know, I think that uh, that shook a lot of people up. Right. Because we haven't had a Republican in in District 9 in 20 years that, you know, has raised six figures of of money that wasn't their own. Um, Unfortunately, it's it's you know, it's been a factor of concern for many people. But, you know, the Republican Party gave up on District 9 and uh, they gave up on anybody trying to beat Marcy Kaptur. So. Um, fundraising was a challenge, it still is, and I think it will always will be, um, particularly for a guy like me that you know doesn't like asking people to give up their hard-earned money. Um, but you know, with respect to fundraising going forward, um, you know I'm I'm, I'm going to have the support of of uh, and I do have the support of President Trump and and other large groups of uh, solid conservatives that you know are going to help me raise the money that I need. So um, I'm not too concerned with uh, with fundraising going forward, but that's not to say that um, I might not be, you know, naive. So um, I'm doing my best right now. We, uh, you know, with just winning the election and and taking a little bit of a break and getting back into it, we're we're really just hitting um, into the fundraising apparatus this week, and uh, we'll be making a trip to DC over the next uh, month. And uh, yeah, I think I think we're going to have one hell of a first quarter, uh, or actually, what second quarter of 22 some good numbers and uh that'll put marcy where she needs to be she'll realize that you know the country and the, and the district are behind me absolutely i know I know in my primary i think there were two quarters consecutively where i not only raised more money than marcy but i raised more money in ohio than she did now i know she didn't have a race to uh worry about but the fact remains you know if, if i if i could do it anybody can't just got to put your heart, you know, your heart into it.
0: What would your advice be to other veteran candidates that are kind of starting um, with campaigning or do want to run? Because a lot of times I see veterans don't always have the upper hand with fundraising. Do you have any advice for those that are thinking about running?
1: Yeah. Um, don't trust any consultants. Um, vet everybody four or five times. Um, the consultant uh, world of politics is probably the, you know, the second largest problem uh, that we have in our on our political landscape when running for office. Uh, many of the consultants that I've met are, you know, they they, they look at candidates as opportunities to, you know, raise and, and, and earn a lot of money uh, without little return on investment to the candidates. So, um, you know, having a uh, strong business background, uh, working with you know, major contracts throughout my career. You know I was able to navigate that pretty well, but you know there's a couple of things that I probably got caught uh, you know being naive where you know in in a better in a in a more perfect world had I been a little bit the wiser um, I probably would have saved a couple thousand dollars um uh, that's not to say that the money wasn't uh wasn't used effectively it just wasn't used to the you know the most efficiently as as it could have been so um I would say. You know, the first step is, you know, developing your message and understanding why you're running for office, and how your family is around you. And you don't need a consultant to win um, at first, but at some point to navigate, you know, this this uh, political world that we have, you absolutely do need someone that can help, um, you know, keep you safe and keep you legal because you know, running for office is pretty dynamic. So um, my, my best advice would be, you know, run on your heart and put it all on the table. If you do that, I don't see why you wouldn't win.
0: Well said. Um, I want to get into some of the issues a little bit. We talked about this a little bit, but tell me, what are your thoughts on improving the economy in um, in your, or I'll say our area?
1: Um, well, number one, I think that, uh, we have a lakefront here in Northwest Ohio that is not being used effectively, efficiently. Um, I'd like to see a, uh, a legitimate plan to expand Lake Erie's lakefront. Uh, I, do, I am working on something right now and um, you know, that will uh, leverage multiple districts on, on Lake Erie, but also um, probably use the help of, uh, of other states. Uh, to get the lakefront front expanded. And we, we have some pretty uh, prohibitive laws in place that you know have restricted us over the years. We have uh, some challenges uh, scientifically uh, with the cytobacteria in the lake. But at the end of the day, I think that there's a, a very, very distinct benefit in us expanding the lake front. And we can do so if we put the right minds behind it. Uh, I think in the past, there've been a couple candidates that have brought it up and uh you know, they just, uh, they just haven't gotten the traction that, you know, have they gotten uh, maybe they could have been effective, but you know, I think uh th- th- there's plenty of bright minds here on the North shores of Ohio that want to see Lake Erie flourish. And there's enough that if we get them together in a room and we start talking about how we can work together, I think we could turn, lake erie back into what it used to be in the 60s and 70s and we can bring a heck of a lot of jobs here to northwest ohio the railway system and the truckers they might not like it at first but i think they'll i think they'll find the benefit in it as well
0: um i absolutely agree um we i I live in oregon our parents live in oregon ohio so we're we're very close to lake erie um
1: so the other thing is you know we really have to uh You know our democratic leaders here at the municipal level have been—they've been making a lot of promises to their constituents year over year, and they have never—I mean, it's very uh, few and far between that they actually deliver. And uh, you know they're highly dependent on federal grant money, and that money's been given to them like an open floodgate. That's not going to happen with me. Um, If they make promises to you know the city of Toledo, if they make promises to you know the, the residents of Toledo, and they can't deliver then they're not going to get that federal grant money that they've, you know, they've, they've uh, developed their grant schemes and plans with Uh, that money's going to go to groups that are actually efficient and capable and can execute, you know, things that are beneficial, uh, you know, to the people that, that vote for it. Um, We're not going to have slush funds in district nine anymore. It's just going to be something that I'm going to bust my butt every day to eliminate. And again, I expect them to hold me accountable. So, I'm going to hold them accountable uh, day, day in and day out. And there are a lot of, uh, a lot of um, puppy dogs, unicorns and ice creams that are being talked about right now. You know, in District 9, as far as what the government can do for you know, the voters here and little to nothing has been done over the years. So voters are starting to lose their confidence. And yeah, you know, I, I think that, of the catalyst that that's gonna you know actually put together uh programs and, and and things that work. And one of the huge biggest problems that we have right now in Toledo um uh, is our lower income housing and, and redlining uh of of those that are uh, unfortunately suffering from poverty. Um we put them in you know in, in nice low income housing but in fact, remains we don't give them access to our economy, so you know they're they're unable to you know jumpstart their careers because you know they can't they can't jump on the bus and go find a job, and uh, you know they're realizing that they're realizing what the Democratic Party's been doing to them, and uh, I plan on offering solutions to remedy it.
0: Um, talk to me a little bit about uh, the war in Afghanistan. I know you were you served in OEF. Um, what are your what were your thoughts on uh, the withdrawal from Afghanistan?
1: Well, um, I think it was haphazard. Um, I think the Biden administration had you know enough intelligence on how to withdraw from Afghanistan, how to do it efficiently and effectively. I just think that you know, like uh, any other situation where you've seen the Biden administration trying to overturn or undo something that president Trump did they do out of spite and they don't really care about the ramifications um you know that that that, that's been a a constant narrative um for this this administration um anything and everything that they can they can do to you know make president Trump look bad or cast a shadow on his presidency they've done and uh unfortunately this cost the lives of many Americans um but I think it was a shame and uh You know, I I unfortunately don't believe that this is going to be the last that we see of a piss poor Biden administration making bad decisions that cost the lives of American uh, servicemen and women.
0: And then I'm looking at, was looking at some of the points, uh, your points on your website. Um, What about a strong United States military and then your thoughts on the the wokeness that has uh, that has become our new military?
1: Uh, my, my, my core values, you know, I believe that a strong America is supported and, and defended by a strong United States military. Um, I don't believe that we should go the world um, necessarily offensively, but I think that, you know, we, we set presence um, because we do have a strong, Come to the aid of, of those countries that need it, but I think we need to be um, you know much more intelligent as we move forward, uh, just because of what we've experienced over the last few generations with foreign we've, uh Really, de- we we've, we've depleted a lot of folks that you know are 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 part of a ever growing and important generation. And, uh, you know, we we can set the precedence by being strong, being powerful and uh, mitigating wars just by being the United States that we've always been. Uh, But invading and and uh, interfering with other governments, if if there's no distinct benefit to the American people, if we're not, uh, you know, if if we're not. Defending our, our country in any way, I, I, you know, I, I think we need to stay out of uh, foreign affairs, but, you know, I'm always going to support the United States military, and, uh, you know, I think there's a very compelling argument on uh, the United States military, quite the opposite of what the Biden administration is doing right now.
0: What about, I'm sorry, did, you, did I cut you off? No, no. Uh, what about... Ran veteran care um so i'm a veteran and i know that i mean i always felt that the toledo uh, va was decent compared to some of the other ones i've been to but what are your thoughts on veteran care and improving that for your district or just in general
1: well you know i've heard a lot over the past uh, few weeks now that i've gotten the uh, nomination Um, veterans are not happy with the care that they're receiving from the va um yeah I, i don't know where Um, the VA stands as far as, you know, the initiatives that President Trump put out such that, you know, veterans could go see their own doctors. Uh, They didn't necessarily have to go to the VA hospital, but the VA would, you know, subsidize their treatment or subsidize payment for that treatment. Um, Yeah, I I really think that Trump was on the move and he had the, uh, you know, he had the right perspective that, you know, a lot of these uh, administrators and, and physicians that worked at the VA, you know, they, they, they couldn't be reprimanded. They couldn't be punished uh, just because of the way in which they, you know, received their positions. But, um, you know, I, I'd, I'd like to see that continued. Um, you know, I, think, I think our servicemen and women are, from the many reports that I get, unfortunately, I get the negatives. I don't always get the positives. Um, but, you know, from what I hear, the VA has a lot of work to do. Um, I think, generally speaking, our veterans are, are significantly neglected. Um, not only from a healthcare standpoint, but you know, just a uh, you know, rehabilitation and, and reintroduction to society. You know, it's a shame when we have veterans sleeping under bridges and defecating in public streets and public parks and living in $30 Walmart tents, and we're going to send $40 billion to uh, the Ukraine you know, to help uh, them from a, you know, a, a military standpoint. I think I think that just shows, you know, our that our priorities are are pretty backwards and uh, shame on the Republicans that voted for that bill, because I I, I think that uh, once again, they've uh, stolen from the American people like a thief in the night. And uh, I hope to be part of the, the system that brings them some justice.
0: Absolutely. And I think, and then also, you know, you know about the suicide issue. I think there can be so much more done about when you talk about transitioning to the civilian world um, with the suicide issue is just unacceptable across the board. So even on active duty at this point.
1: Yeah, I, you know, uh, there's a, and it's probably too long for the podcast, but I actually, uh, when I was stationed in California, um, met a young, a young girl. That um, received her orders to um, go to the Middle East, and she was so upset that she committed suicide. And um, I was unfortunately the guy that opened up her uh, you know, her her, uh, her dormitory and, and saw her, um, you know, hanging by, by the by the fan that she decided to hang herself from. And uh, you know, I we had just spoken to her the day before, and she was so excited about you know ranking up and, you know, being in the military and, you know, the the orders to the Middle East were totally unexpected for her. And, you know, that, that, that's the kind of stuff that the military and the VA need to be Uh, they need to be, we need to be initiative based, not reactive. And, uh, you know, they need to be helping these folks with, with counseling and uh, with treatment in a way that that doesn't belittle them or isolate them. Uh, you know, there's a family here in the district I was actually just talking with, uh, a friend of mine about, that, uh, you know, they, they their son refused to be vaccinated. And because of his refusal, of the Army has given him a discharge, but they haven't processed his papers. And he's been on discharge papers for almost a year now. And uh, he's not allowed to communicate with people that he was, you know, um, stationed with in his battalion. He's not allowed to do any PT with them. But, you know, they're giving him uh, they, they haven't given him his, his end of service date, but they have, uh, you know, every day they give him these ridiculous administrative duties like, you know, power washing sidewalks and, you know, doing things that normally would be reserved for people that are, you have know, gotten into a little bit of a little bit of trouble, you know, and he's been doing it for already, almost a year now. And, uh, you know, his parents are concerned that. You know, he's becoming clinically depressed, and they've asked him to go get some help, but he won't get help because he thinks if he does, then the army's going to, you know, label him as having a mental disorder, and they're going to want to keep him, you know, in the service for a longer amount of time, you know, to to get him through whatever type of uh, treatment that they think is appropriate. So it's just this is what we're this is what our military folks are dealing with, and it's a shame. These people don't don't join the military to be part of this ridiculous bureaucracy. They join the military to further their personal life or make better, you know, people out of themselves and their families, provide a future, or just, you know, because they love America and they want to serve the country. You know, we shouldn't the, the military should not be, you know, putting ridiculous levels of enforcement on them just because, you know, they've created a a, uh, you know, a situation where these troops are being, you know, made to, to make decisions that could impact the rest of their lives by taking a vaccine that they don't necessarily believe in versus, you know, blindly taking this vaccination and doing whatever the hell, you know, Uncle Sam decides to tell them, especially when, you know, at the, at, you know, at the larger level, the army is, is failing with world culture and, you know we're failing in foreign in foreign relations. I mean, it's just a it's a whole hodgepodge mess. And I feel terrible for all of our U.S. service members right now. I couldn't imagine serving the country right now. I couldn't imagine how that feels.
0: Yeah, and and it's probably true that if he did seek mental health, he probably would be held on active duty longer. Or is he reserve?
1: Uh, no, he's active.
0: Active. Yeah, I did some yeah. work on. Um... The Brandon Caserta bill, the Brandon Act, and and I'm sure you're familiar with that. It works uh, with receiving mental health care um, without retaliation, but the actual, we'll see how they actually enact the bill and if they follow through on it, because as we know, there's so many second and third order negative effects that occur when you do receive mental health. So I don't know, we'll see where that goes in the next couple of years. Um, two more, two more things I wanted to talk to you about. Um, talk to me about protecting innocent life and uh, the current Roe v.ersus Wade situation. What are your thoughts on it?
1: Well, I think that uh, you know, number one, I'm, I'm pro life, uh, and and I think that almost every conservative that I've ever met is, and uh, I think we're um, we're we're moving farther and farther and farther away from you know our pro-life judeo-christian values and you know we're, we're funding abortion clinics without the permission of the american people you know i think uh i think that needs to end i'm going to be part of the the uh you know the, the the fight against uh planned parenthood and many of those other groups that that uh, are making these young women feel like their only choice is to get an abortion or to act so viciously to protest out in front of uh you know the houses of our of our uh, supreme court justices you know and and, and do these you know just dis- disgusting theatrical feats that they've been doing i mean it's been pretty disgusting um some of the behaviors that i've seen and, and heard of on the radio but, um pro life um unfortunately you know my wife and i um we've been married for almost 20 years now we couldn't have we can't have children. Um, So, you know, the, the inability to have, to to have children has caused us to, you know, really focus on uh, helping uh, children that, that are less fortunate or that are in the adoption system or, you know, that have had uh, medical conditions that, you know, were something they were born with or, or, or medical conditions they've, they've, uh, you know, They've, they've been fighting with through, you know, supporting St. Jude, supporting Shriners and a couple other local, uh, hospitals, but again, pro-life and, uh, I forgot the, I forgot the second part of your question. <clears throat> um, I think you asked me, um, what did you ask me?
0: Oh, your thoughts on the current situation, uh, for Roe versus Wade, if it should go down to the state level.
1: Um, yeah, I, I mean, I think um, I think Roe versus Wade is just another attempt from the Democratic Party to to make this uh, this next election cycle, you know, a single issue uh, for voters. They're, they're I mean, it's propaganda, right? Um, Roe versus Wade, if it is the return that just takes the decision back to the states, and uh, you know, it, it, it doesn't make abortion illegal, you know, for those those that are you know conservative but ride the line of of being you know. no questions asked for life. You know, Roe versus Wade does not take away, you know, states' rights. And personally, I believe that's where they should reside anyway. Uh, I think the federal government is just another thing that they put their hands in. And uh, I think we can see the consistency in that the states manage, you know, the states manage their issues and their people act a lot better than the uh, federal government does so you know to me it's a it's a no-brainer uh, you know I, I I definitely think that the state should have the right uh, to decide
0: thank you for sharing your thoughts on that um is there any topics that I missed that you I know we didn't get through all of them but is there any that you wanted to talk about that I missed that you would like to like to talk to about to our listeners about
1: not that I could think of um, I apologize for my voice. I was on the weather over the weekend, so my voice has been in and out, but um, no, I don't, not necessarily. Um,
0: okay. Sorry, you're going in and out a little bit. Um, okay, one last might-
1: question. Yeah, it's my
0: Can you hear me, though?
1: Yeah, I can hear you. fine.
0: Okay, one last question. What current politician do you admire the most and why? Um,
1: that's a good question. Uh, I think Tom Massey. Um, I admire him. Um, because he's a, you know, he's a constitutional conservative and, you know, he stands by his, um, his constituency and, you know, he votes along, he has a great record uh, voting record. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he's not bought and sold and, uh, you know, he's worked under, I mean, I remember when, um, president Trump wanted, uh, he wanted, he wanted, uh, Congressman Massey to vote, cer- vote a certain way, um, on an issue that would, you know, maintain the presidentialist power to take the country to war. And, uh, you know, Congressman Massey voted against it because you know he believes that in, in the Constitution that uh, you know the Congress has to approve the country going to war, and, and uh, you know he wanted to remove that uh, the articles which gave the president uh, you know the, that that power tentatively, or excuse me, not tentatively, but you know over a brief period of time. And President Trump said that uh, you know if he asked him to support, and if he wouldn't, I think he. He threatened him with a primary opponent and uh Congressman Massey had a primary, he won and uh stood by his vote and now he's uh he's gotten Trump's endorsement the past two cycles from what I believe. So mm-hmm. it just shows to me that if you stand firm on what's right and your beliefs and the beliefs of your constituents and you do what you're supposed to do as an elected official, regardless of the uh potential outcome, you know, that, that justice will see you through. And I admire it for that.
0: Um, where can our listeners find, uh, what is your website and where can we find you at?
1: Uh, my website is J.R. the number four, congress.com. And I'm on all forms of social media, either J.R. Majewski or J.R. Majewski for Congress.
0: All right. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. And you definitely have my vote. Um, I won't be voting in the district, but my family will be. And I really, really appreciate uh, talking to you today and good luck to you. Um, It's going to be exciting to see where this heads and hit hit me up when you come to DC if you want to get a drink. I will. All right. Thank you. All
1: right. Thank you. Have a great day. You too. Bye-bye.